If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer or tablet. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many others. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listen- listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, welcome to the Anonymous Socialist. So, this is our first podcast episode. And so, right off the bat, let's get to the point of why Anonymous? Socialist already explains itself. This podcast is being done by me anonymously uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, First of all, I think it's maybe increasingly important that as we discuss what's going on in politics, what's going on in the world, what's going on with the environment, and all the fucked up stuff that we're dealing with every day, that we be able to have conversations without egos being involved, and uh, no offense to my fellow podcasters, but I feel like sometimes when I'm watching or listening to podcasts or YouTube shows um, with other political um, commentators, that a lot of it revolves around the personality of the host or hosts, plural. Um, So... I've had this idea of just doing it anonymously because who gives a fuck who I am? It doesn't matter. I'm nobody. I'm everybody. Somebody. Um, so, with that in mind, um, today is Wednesday, February 5th, 2020. I am in Northern California in the United States. I am a devout socialist and a Marxist. I'm a Generation Xer. I'm a mm, reformed old 80s punk rocker. Um, And so as I've been watching things unroll especially over the past 10 days. So I am a huge fan of Bernie Sanders, first of all, um, and have been since I was about 15 in 1981. And so even though I have never been a Democrat, I have been... 
a supporter of Bernie Sanders, who of course is an independent socialist, and I know that there are arguments about whether Bernie is an actual socialist or democratic socialist, or whether he's more of a social democrat. Um, we can get into that later. Um, I think he kind of hugs the, you know, he's got a maybe a foot in both of those. Um, but anyway, back to this election cycle. So even though I've never been a Democrat, <clears throat> and I think as Bernie Sanders himself has said over the years, that he will become a Democrat when the Democratic Party actually becomes small-D Democratic. Um, so I supported Bernie Sanders very strongly um, in 2015 and 2016. I have continued to support him for the, you know, in his movement, um, you know, for the past four or five years. Um, and I'm currently supporting him in his current um, race to be president, um, running as a Democrat, quote unquote. Um, and as I've been watching what's going on, and I'm not surprised because I'm not naive, um, one could even say that I might be cynical, uh, but it's, it's clear, as Bernie has said himself, that not only is he, of course, running, you know, against Republicans and Republican ideas, but he's also running against the establishment in general, which includes the Republican light, um, Democratic Party as an institution, um, with its infrastructure establishment and elected officials who tend to be probably more on the right of center on a, on a worldwide polit political spectrum. Um, I think that Bernie Sanders himself is actually pretty moderate. For example, in Western Europe, he would certainly be considered centrist. Um, but for whatever, you know, for historical reasons here in the United States, he's considered by some to be this, you know, super radical, far left, um, crazy Bernie, as I think Trump calls him. Um, but what I've, you know, I, I was, you know, I was prepared that the, the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, and Hillary and the Clinton machine and all these things were going to come after Bernie um, in this primary election cycle. But I guess what has really bothered me over the past 10 days is that even though a lot of those things were exposed, the rigging, cheating, putting both thumbs on the scale for Hillary um, by the Democratic Party establishment and the media, in cahoots with them uh, during the 2016 primaries, um, they really don't seem to have learned a, a lesson at all. So after the 2016 uh, nomination was essentially, in my opinion, stolen by Hillary Clinton, and of course she lost to this horrible monstrosity that we currently have in the White House. Um, Bernie, using what leverage he had, you know, not only 
from himself, but from our movement, to pressure the DNC and the Democratic Party establishment to make reforms and changes um, to the institution itself and to the processes, uh, particularly for the, the nomination process um, for president within the Democratic Party. And so there was this Unity Reform Commission, and that went on for, I think, a year and a half to two years. Um, one of the people that I have followed off and on and whom I have a great deal of respect for is Namiki Konst in New York. Um, she really seems to understand <clears throat> the inner workings of the DNC and has been able to expose just the levels of, of corruption and crookedness um, within that institution. And so several things have come out over the past two weeks. Um, I think, you know, in, in the Democratic um, debates, Bloomberg has not been on the stage. And so I think now that the establishment sees that Bernie is soaring in the polls and is arguably the front runner, maybe especially after this um, Iowa caucus debacle that is still ongoing, and I'll get to that, um, where Biden has tanked and has evidently come in fourth or fifth place and may not even be assigned any delegates, pledged delegates. <clears throat> so the establishment's front runner is no longer the front runner. Um, and even going into New Hampshire with the primary there next Tuesday in a few days, Biden is, I think, number two in the polls, but he's, you know, so it's, it, it's quite evident that Biden has not only lost Iowa massively, that he's going to lose in New Hampshire and probably also lose to Bernie in Nevada, as well as California, for sure. <clears throat> With his only safe spot maybe being South Carolina, but the polls there show that he's losing ground there quickly. Um, I think as people see him tanking, his southern firewall is going to implode. Um, but anyway, so what I was trying to get to is that the DNC and the, the Democratic Party establishment are very nervous and they've been quite um, upfront in the media about their disdain for Bernie and how they do not want him to be the nominee and evidently will try anything to try and stop him or prevent him from being the nominee. Um, about a week and a half ago or so, two weeks, week and a half ago, the Democratic Party, the DNC, Tom Perez, decided to remove the requirement to be in the debates that all participants have a certain level of grassroots donations from the public. Um, so I think Michael Bloomberg who historically, you know, he he's the former Republican mayor of New York City who now calls himself a Democrat 
and has inserted himself into this race. He, I believe, has spent over $250 million. Um, he made a comment the other day that he is now doubling, he's going to be doubling the amount of money that he's spending, I think, as well as doubling his staff. Um, so anyway, he apparently in November of 2019 gave about $325,000 to the DNC. Well, wink, wink, no surprise. Uh, they see the DNC sees Biden tanking. And so I believe that they, they see Bloomberg as maybe being the guy who can stop Bernie. Um, I think they're mistaken and we can talk more about that later, but, um, so now they've changed the debate rules midstream in the middle of the game to allow Bloomberg to probably get into the debate, starting with the Nevada debate, which I believe is in a couple of weeks from now, in an effort to stop the Bernie train. And it's just more quid pro quo um, garbage. It's corruption. It's crooked. Um, it's a pretty well-known fact that the DNC is, has been and is currently struggling for money and, and their coffers are pretty empty and the DNC convention in Milwaukee in July probably will cost somewhere between 70 and 100 million dollars. And so they typically, I think as in 2016, they, you know, part of the reason that they uh, latched on to Hillary um, and the Clinton machine was essentially, and I believe Hillary has stated this publicly, that she essentially was financing the DNC during 2015 and 2016 all the way up through the convention. Whether she continues to do that, I don't know. Um, but I think that in a similar way, the DNC is quote-unquote broke, and I think the way that Bloomberg is wielding his influence to essentially try and buy the nomination is by finance, you know, donating and financing the DNC. Um, pretty blatant, corrupt, quid pro quo stuff. Which I know is ironic because of the impeachment stuff going on with Trump and a lot of talk from the establishment Democrats about quid pro quo in you know, going on with Trump and, and Ukraine, um, which I absolutely believe that's quid pro quo. But the, the trouble that I run into with Democrats or, you know, establishment Democrats, at least, is that it's always the pot calling the kettle black. In other words, um, you know, certainly now with Trump, because I believe he is so crooked and corrupt, and nepotistic, um, even more so than, you know, what we've seen in the past with Republicans or Democrats. Um, but for, 
for establishment Democrats who are also kind of known for this quid pro quo, kind of corrupt, nepotistic, you know, like, so for example, with the Bidens and uh, evidently, you know, Hunter Biden being on the board of Burisma and, you know, despite the fact that he has no, evidently has no knowledge of the gas or energy sector or industry at all. Um, I believe he was being paid somewhere between 50 and a hundred thousand dollars a month for a couple of years or something. Um, essentially just, I'm assuming because Burisma wanted some level of influence, um, during the Obama administration and wanted to be able to have a direct line of communication with Vice President Biden and maybe even through Biden with Obama, who knows, um, spec speculative, um, but suspicious. Um, so the, the problem I guess, you know, so what I've seen over the past couple of weeks is, you know, Bloomberg in cahoots with Tom Perez, evidently, and the DNC to kind of buy influence and buy his way into the presidential debates, um, which he otherwise would not qualify for because he's self-financing his campaign. He's, he's taking no donations from grassroots or normal everyday people. Um... And, and then I think a few days later, I was reading an article where, you know, not only has he contributed this $325,000 to the DNC, but he has evidently committed to, I believe it was $10 million um, to, I believe, the DCCC and maybe some other super PACs, which fund re-election campaigns for incumbent uh, Democratic um, House representatives and senators in Congress. And so it's just more quid pro quo. Um, and of course, those people that he's funding their re-election campaigns um, are also superdelegates, or what's called now automatic delegates. So, you know, the quid pro quo, it just keeps going deeper and deeper. You know, it's He's trying to buy the election, and it, it, it's really pretty disgusting. Um, and then, so, you know, some of those things, and then leading up to the Iowa caucus on Monday night, I mean, I knew that, you know, we needed to watch for crooked behavior or cheating. Um, I did not suspect that the entire caucus would go up in flames. <laughs> it's, you know, I didn't suspect that, for example, we're almost 48 hours now after the caucus, and we still don't have 100% of the voting results. Last time I checked a few minutes ago, I think on CNN.com, only 72% of the vote is reported, with Bernie being ahead, I think, by like 1,300 or somewhere between 1,300 and 2,000 votes in the final alignment against Pete Buttigieg. Um, but for some crooked reason, of course, Buttigieg is ahead in um, SDEs, which is state uh, delegate equivalents. 
which is kind of like an electoral college of its own, which we can get into the undemocratic, you know, discussion about pledged delegates and automatic delegates and all that stuff later. So it's really incredible that we're almost 48 hours after the Iowa caucus. We still don't have results. Buttigieg, shortly after the caucuses, precinct caucuses in um, Iowa closed, went on TV and basically claimed victory with 0% of the vote in. Um, and simultaneously as that was happening, the Iowa Democratic Party was claiming that they couldn't post results because of inconsistencies. And then, and then as the evening wore on, you know, more and more gets revealed that, oh, they had this app, you know, um, that they had purchased from, you know, that they, you know, they wouldn't talk about before the caucus, supposedly for security reasons, obscure, you know, security through obscurity, um, because they didn't want it to get hacked or cracked or whatever. Well, it turns out that that app uh, failed Monday night during the caucus, and that app was designed to report, it wasn't used for actual voting by caucus attendees, but it was supposed to be used by precinct uh, chairs and captains to report the results in from every precinct, and there are over 1,700 precincts in Iowa, into the central party. Um, the app just totally blew up, failed, people couldn't log in, it just, it, it was, you know, total nightmare, breakdown, um, and then they tried going back to the old method, which is, you know, a telephone hotline, and the precinct people calling in the results, um, you know, I read some articles that people were texting their results into the, uh, Iowa Democratic Party, um, and it was just a total clusterfuck. And then I think because people were on hold, I mean, obviously 1,700 people trying to call in on this one telephone line. You know, they were on hold for hours. People were tired. Um, some of the precinct chairs or captains went home and evidently took boxes of the written materials with them to their house which brings up a whole other chain of custody dilemma that nobody in the media, at least as far as I can tell, has been talking about. But in a, certainly in a state-controlled primary, um, you know, where typically the Secretary of State is, is running up, you know, primaries with voting booths, it absolutely is illegal to take marked ballots <clears throat> off-premises to someone's house. I mean, that's like election tampering 101. I, you know. So, I'm not saying that any of the precinct caucus chairs or captains necessarily did anything nefarious, but it certainly is bad optics. Because it allows for uh, ballots and, and presidential preference cards to be lost, um, they could be, you know, reconstructed, white out, you know, all sorts of things could happen. So, so we're stuck. 
And, and so for some reason, the Iowa Democratic Party, instead of releasing all, you know, all of the caucus results at one time, which you would think 24 hours plus after the fact that they would be able to do, they decided yesterday at around 5 p.m. Eastern time to release 62% of the vote without telling us which precincts that was, where they were, you know, no information, just here, 62% of the vote. And in that 62% of the vote was where the numbers were really super tight and close between Buttigieg and Bernie. Um, as I said earlier, I think now they've released an additional 10%, so I think we're at 72%. But as this goes on, the Iowa Democratic Party uh, chairman uh, with um, uh, Price is is basically giving no information to the public or to the media about when we can expect the you know remaining twenty eight percent or so of the vote totals. Um, you know I've heard rumors that uh, the DNC and Tom Perez have stepped in and have told Chairman Price of the Iowa Democratic Party that the DNC is going to finish the count and publish it to the media. Total clusterfuck. It's clear to me that the chairman of the Iowa Democratic Party, Price, and also that Tom Perez, the chair of the DNC, both need to be fired. Um... I know that the different campaigns have had their uh, campaign attorneys, um, I mean, certainly in conversations that I know of and that have been public in mainstream media, in, you know, telephone conferences with um, Chairman Price from the Iowa Democratic Party and probably other party officials, um, and I'm assuming at this point, that those conversations have also um, are also happening with the DNC and probably with Chairman Tom Perez of the DNC. Um, but it's it's just so frustrating because we don't know what's happening, we don't know who's talking to who, um, you know. And quite frankly, I think it's not it's not only Bernie's campaign that is upset about this. It's you know ostensibly Elizabeth Warren's campaign. Um, you know, I think probably the Andrew Yang campaign, the Biden campaign is embarrassed. I mean, I, I, you know, my impression is they're not, you know, they're not really, I mean, I'm sure that in their mind, they would just like the Iowa caucus to just go away and be canceled because of how poorly, evidently, um, Biden did, um, barely reaching viability if he did at all. Um, so, the you know the question becomes I've you know I've been extremely disheartened over the past few days, um, demoralized, even more cynical than usual, um, and so I think I think you know I was listening to Michael Moore's Rumble podcast earlier, um, and he actually. He, he and his podcast are what have kind of um, inspired me to do this one. Um, thanks, Michael. 
um, you know, I, th I think Michael's right that as hard as it is, we have to try, you know, I think we can be depressed and we can be upset at the Democratic Party establishment for fucking this all up. You know, we don't know, was it intentional, unintentional, um, you know, I don't think we can prove any of that, but certainly, I mean, there, there are a lot of things that have been cropping up as I, you know, alluded to this shadow app and, you know, someone in Pete Buttigieg's campaign is married to one of the C-level execs in the acronym or shadow company. I mean, it's just, it doesn't look good. Um, it may not be illegal, but it certainly is, comes off as crooked and unethical. Um, but given where we are and, you know, the level of despair and, you know, they, 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 they want us to feel this way. The Democratic Party wants us to feel this way, both activists and voters, because they know that in upcoming primary and caucus elections that Bernie is soaring in the polls and that other than maybe, you know, this really risky move with Bloomberg, who's really low in the polls anyways, I mean, he's at 10% or below, I think. Um, they don't, you know, and with Biden tanking, they don't, they don't really have, you know, other than Pete Buttigieg in Iowa, they don't really have somebody who can stand up against Bernie and stop him nationwide. You know, um, I know they're probably feeling like, oh, Buttigieg can be our guy. You know, he can take Bernie down and become the nominee. No. It's just not possible. I mean, Buttigieg is low in the polls in key areas. He has, you know, practically zero support in communities of color, um, African Americans, Latinos, Asians, Native Americans. Um, you know, he, he, his support seems to be, you know, 90% or above white. Um, and maybe even what I would call, you know, kind of latte limousine liberal type Democrats and, and maybe a few moderate Republicans thrown in. It just, it's not, it just, it's, it's not a coalition that can win. I mean, it's, um, you know, African Americans especially make up a huge part of the base of the Democratic Party. <clears throat> and so for someone to try and vie for the party nomination without having any support from, from that base is just beyond ridiculous. Um, and not only does he not have their support, but he has a history, um, you know, as being the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, of some really suspect um, behaviors and actions regarding, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter and uh, really pissing Black Lives Matter off and, you know, the black residents of South Bend and this, you know, whatever this deal is with the chief of police, you know, he fired the first African-American chief of police and then there's been this cover-up of, um, I think it was a young black man that got shot. I can't remember the whole story, but it's just, he, he's, he's not, he doesn't, yeah, he's not very well liked um, in the African American community, and he—I—I I, I would say, at large, he 
I mean, it's not that he doesn't have any support, but he, he just comes across as inauthentic to me. I, you know, and even though I'm an LGBTQ person, I mean, I'm queer myself, I just, I can't support him. I mean, he's essentially a Republican. Um, he, his, you know, I call him Hillary 2.0. I mean, he's just, <clears throat> he's a conservative, third way Democrat who could probably, if he weren't gay, he could run as a Republican and nobody would know the difference. I mean, really. Um, so I think that we all have to be patient. Those of us who are Bernie supporters, um, to, you know, we're just going to have to wait this out as hard as it is and push through. Um, I think Bernie's going to do really well on Tuesday and win New Hampshire. I'm hoping it's going to be a landslide. Um, Nevada, I think, I don't think it'll be a landslide, but I think that Bernie is going to win the Nevada caucus. Um, and certainly, you know, here in California where I am, I think it's going to be a blowout. I mean, I think, I can't remember, I think in California, we award something like 400 and some pledged delegates um, that are, you know, proportionally distributed amongst the winners of the California Democratic primary. So I think that Bernie, I think that's going to be kind of a landslide. I think that Bernie's probably going to get at least two thirds of those delegates. And that is a huge number. Uh, you know, let's say he gets 300 out of the 400 some pledged delegates. He needs, I think the magic number is 1,997 or somewhere around 2,000 pledged delegates to clinch the nomination um, on the first ballot. So, I mean, that could push him over the edge to become essentially the presumptive nominee. Um, so I know that Bloomberg is cranking up, you know, and he's going to be spending hundreds of millions of dollars in the coming weeks to try and destroy Bernie's chances, especially in California. And he, he'll be running, you know, TV and radio ads nonstop, 24 hours a day. If he has to spend a billion dollars, he'll do it. I don't think it's going to work. You know, why would we want an oligarch, and he is an oligarch, Nina Turner, by the way, we agree with you. Um, why would the public who loves Bernie Sanders in California switch all of a sudden to this until recently Republican bajillionaire. It, do, it doesn't really make any sense ideologically or otherwise. So I think despite what is happening kind of under the hood with the Iowa caucus and, you know, the craziness there um, and, you know, the corrupt bullshit that, you know, Tom Perez and the DNC is pulling and, you know, Hillary coming out every other day saying nobody likes Bernie and, you know, that's funny. He's showing up at rallies where thousands of people show up. I mean, he's essentially like a rock star. He's at the top of the polls. So I don't know what she means. Nobody likes him. If she means that none of her friends like him, I, you know, I would agree. Um, one percenters typically don't like Bernie, 
except maybe his uh, fanboy, Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer looks, for whatever reason, seems to love Bernie. Um, but, you know, so I think the thing is, is that we just kind of have to pull through and just kind of let the process play out. We have to know, we'd have to just monitor and be aware that, you know, the DNC and the state Democratic parties and the establishment Democrats are going to try and do every little tweak and thing that they can do, quid pro quo with Bloomberg and, you know, backdoor deals maybe with Buttigieg and, you know, who knows what they're talking to, you know, about with Elizabeth Warren, who seems to be kind of sort of maybe on the outs with Bernie, I'm not sure. Um, so I think we just have to keep pushing through and, um, you know, I think for me, you know, having all, you know, been a person throughout my life who has despised the Democratic Party almost as much as I despise the Republican Party, um, you know, am I cynical about being able to reform the crooked Democratic Party, you know, which I consider to be kind of the equivalent of the mafia, you know, can you reform the mafia? I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the DNC and the Democratic Party are so entrenched. The, the corruption and the quid pro quo and, and the crooks are so deep and so wide, essentially trillions of dollars. Um, they're just, they're just never going to let go of that voluntarily. And so, you know, I think if we can get Bernie in, which is going to be very difficult, but if we can get him in as the nominee and if we can get him to beat Trump and it, and essentially it, it would be like a coup because, you know, I mean, Bernie has stated that, you know, once he comes into office, I think he's made public statements about changes that he would make at the DNC. I mean, I'm just going to assume that if Bernie became well, certainly if president, but maybe even if nominee and becomes at that point the de facto head of the party, that he would just fire the entire DNC, all 450 members, Chairman Perez, all the consultants, all the lobbyists, just poof, gone. And I think that he would probably turn the DNC into something actually that kind of mirrors maybe um, what DSA or the Democratic Socialists of America is, which is kind of more of a grassroots-based organization. Um, I don't know. I mean, is, you know, that I'm not saying he's going to do that. I'm not saying that he's even said he's going to do that, but I'm just fantasizing, right? Um, so, but I think... I guess the thing that I would like to say that as much as I'm cynical and at times are curmudgeon and I've been losing my temper and, and my friends have witnessed it um, about all this DNC corruption and garbage and rigging, um, I think we just have to keep plowing through. And, you know, it sucks to have to go through a corrupt, rigged process and... Um, you know, it's kind of like trying to run an obstacle course, right? Where, you know, you, your, your goal is to get to the end and cross the finish line. But, you, you know, when you're at the beginning, right, you don't know what things you're going to have to jump over, crawl underneath, run around, climb over. You know, I mean, they're basically setting up obstacles as we go, right? Like pop-ups, like whack-a-mole, like thump, thump, 
you know, they keep popping things up to try and stop us and to stop Bernie. And I think that we just, we're getting better at predicting to some degree what they're going to try and do um, and being able to maneuver around it. And quite frankly, I think the American public is onto it, you know. And I think the more they attack Bernie and the more Hillary comes out and says nasty stuff about Bernie um, or, you know, these other pundits on MSNBC and CNN and, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's ironic, right, that Fox News, which is very Republican, right, and right-wing, seems to have the most empathetic and kind treatment of Bernie than the liberal establishment mainstream media. I mean, it's really kooky, right? <laughs> you would think that Fox News would be destroying him, and so, you know, and sometimes they do. But, you know, they... When was that? Last year, they had the, the town hall, and he went into the town hall and talked to all these Republicans in this giant room. It was televised. And he talked, you know, at the very end, they, you know, treated him fairly well. The audience did. Um, the host tried to trip him up a few times. Didn't work. Um, but, you know, at the end, I think he asked a question like, who's for Medicare for all? Who here would give up their private insurance for Medicare for all? And it was like huge. You know, there were thousands of people, I think, in that room. And I would say two thirds of them put their hand up, you know, and I would say half of those were Republicans or Republican-leaning independents. So I think people are really tired of the crookedness and the corruption and the, you know, the 1% stuff. And it's really just gotten to the point where, I mean, yeah, okay, there's always this left versus right or, you know, pull and tug politically, but it's really turning into more and more the 1% against the 99%. That's what this is about. And I think also more and more people uh, are understanding the climate change threat and, and dangers that we're under. I mean, and, and just the things that we're seeing already, right, with the droughts and the floods and, the, you know, more hurricanes, more tornadoes, um, you know, the wildfires that we have here in California... Um, the wildfires that we've seen in Australia, the flooding in Venice, Italy, just, you know, crazy stuff, right? Um, things that we've seen a little bit here and there just as normal weather patterns, of course, in life, but not this concentrated um, and not this much. So I think that people are kind of waking up to that. And I think that people are realizing that we... we we just have to make huge changes. I mean, not only here in the United States, but elsewhere. You know, and I think like Bernie says, that he, you know, he wants to be an organizer-in-chief. And, you know, I, I think that he, you know, really wants to partner up with other nations, leaders of other nations, to, you know, develop solutions to combat or slow down climate change at least. We may be at a point where we can't stop climate change, but we certainly could slow it down. So, um, I don't know. I guess what I would tell everybody is, as hard as it is, I mean, have your little mini breakdowns if you have to. You know, go in your backyard and crunch up some paper and throw it at the wall or stomp on it or 
you know, do something to get out your frustration. Do some yoga, go running, do, you know, whatever you do, right, to, to let off steam. Yes, we have every reason to be angry. We have every reason to be depressed. We have every reason to feel demoralized. And I'm saying this even about myself. But at the end of the day, we have to just keep pushing forward. Because if we don't, if we give up, they win. And, you know, I can say myself, being in my 50s, that, you know, before it was like, you know, okay. I mean, my, you know, my person that I voted for for president, you know, Ralph Nader or whoever it's been over the years, uh, socialists and other people that I voted for, have, of course, never won. Um, this is the first time in my life that I feel like I'm voting for somebody who has an actual chance. I mean, um, and really because of the climate change and everything that's going on, time is running out. You know, kind of like the, the hourglass in The Wizard of Oz where the sand's running through and Dorothy's like trapped in the castle and the flying monkeys. And it's like, well, you know, time is running out. And even though I don't agree with Bernie 100% on everything, and, you know, I would say that I, you know, being a Marxist socialist, am certainly further to the left, you know, to, you know, to the left of Bernie, um, you know, I do support probably, you know, I do agree with him, you know, probably 90 to 95% of the time. Um, and, um... I think we just have to push. We have to get bold changes. We can't afford to have another four years of Trump. We can't afford it. Here's your okay, reminder. thanks. So I guess you heard my digital assistant in the background. I apologize for that, telling me to clean the cat litter box today. So, uh... I'm just a guy sitting in my house, the anonymous socialist, talking. Um, so I'm trying to make plans on, you know, maybe how to improve this podcast. And I think, um, you know, I'd love to hear your ideas. And um, I think I'd like to maybe invite people um, onto the podcast um, so that we can have back and forth discussions or debates about uh, what's going on and um, basically just be in solidarity and realize that we have to fight this crap and that we can't just give up really because the planet's going to burn up if we do at this point. So anyways, signing off, the Anonymous Socialist, and uh, talk to you soon.